Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, our Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at Whit Riverside. Welcome to the first in our Teach Us to Pray series. Uh, these are our video talks we're putting out at the moment to help you stay connected to us. I want to welcome all of our Riverside Church family and welcome other viewers and listeners uh, online as well. Uh, we're really pleased you're here with us today. We are living in a, a difficult time. It's a time of uh, what you could describe as dislocation. Things are very different from our normal and uh, we're all having to, to discover what it is to live within a new normal. We're experiencing disruption, uh, we're experiencing a whole range of emotions. You might be um, frustrated or fearful, uh, you might be struggling with anxiety or even anger at what's happening uh, in our society today. And as you watch this, we, we hope that you will find comfort from uh, the words of Jesus we're going to study today and also from, the, from an, the fact that you are not alone, you are with a community of other believers who are praying and, uh, and supporting and connecting uh, with each other uh, in these difficult times. One thing we can do during this time is pray. Uh, we, we, we can pray at any time uh, in our homes and we hope this series will encourage you uh, into this place of prayer. When the disciples watched Jesus praying, they, they saw a gap. They saw a, a gap between their experience of prayer and, uh, and what Jesus was doing in his place of prayer. And this prompted them to ask a question. They asked the question, Lord, teach us to pray. And over the next few weeks during this series, we want to look at that question together. Lord, teach us to pray. Many of us would say that uh, we're not great at prayer or we, or we struggle with prayer. And uh, we can all ask that question. Lord, would you help us to grow in the place of prayer during this time? And I think that this time, this time of dislocation, this time of disturbance gives us a unique opportunity to grow in the place of prayer. Some of you may have been praying your whole life. Some of you may have never prayed. Some of you may find prayer very challenging. But in reality, wherever we are on that journey, we can all grow uh, in the place of prayer. So I want to start today by looking at um, Luke chapter 11, where the disciples looked at Jesus and they said this. It says, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. And that's in Luke chapter 11, verse 1. So picture the scene. Jesus is praying and the disciples are watching. And I know personally I would find it very hard to pray if people were just intently watching me. But they were watching Jesus pray and they saw something different about the way he prayed and their experience of prayer. We have to remember that the disciples would have grown up in a culture of prayer, that the Jewish culture was steeped in prayer, uh, prayer in the synagogue, prayer in the temple. Uh, there'd been prayer throughout the whole Jewish nation for hundreds and hundreds of years. We see right back in the book of Genesis, Abraham's prayers, right through to the prayers of Anna when she welcomes the baby Jesus at the temple. And so prayer was an integral part of Jewish life. But when the disciples saw Jesus, they saw something that was different. They saw something, there was a gap between their experience of prayer and what he was doing. And this prompted them 
they said, Lord, would you teach us to pray like you pray? So today I'm going to focus on a passage uh, in Matthew 6 where Jesus unpacks some different aspects of what it is to pray in the way that he prayed. And so let's read from Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 to 8. Jesus said this, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in the secret place will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. And today I want to look at three types of prayer that Jesus mentions in this passage. And I've called them praying like a hypocrite, praying like a pagan, or praying like a disciple. Let's begin by thinking about what it was Jesus was alluding to when he spoke of the hypocrites. In the ancient Greek theatre, the, the hypocrite was an actor. He was a, a, an actor as part of a play. Uh, the word hypocrisis, which is from the Greek, means someone who wore a mask or veiled their identity, um, someone who, who misrepresented who they really were. A modern definition, we could say, of hypocrisy or hypocrite is someone who puts on a false appearance or a false virtue, someone who acts in contradiction to his or her stated beliefs. Jesus doesn't say in Matthew 6 that he's specifically referring to the Pharisees, who were the religious leaders of the day. But he, has all, he does, throughout the Gospels, accuse the Pharisees of hypocrisy. And Jesus is saying to pray like a hypocrite is, rather than focusing on God, it's to focus on what others think of you. And so, rather than having your eyes fixed on God, you've got one eye on the crowd, how you're appearing to other people, and you've got one eye on your own ego. How is what you're doing inflating your sense of importance or spirituality? And Jesus said, the Pharisees, you stand on street corners and public places and you pray and you hope that people notice because if they notice you, they'll think better of you, they'll think you're more religious or more spiritual, and that will feed your ego and build you up. And I think this offended Jesus because Jesus loved honesty, he loved integrity, he loved authenticity. Um, he loved people to be where they were rather than pretending to be something they weren't. He tells a story uh, in Matthew, um, sorry, in Luke chapter 18 uh, about this. And I'm going to read it from the message translation. He told his next story to some who were complacently pleased with themselves over their moral performance looked down their noses at the common people. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a taxman. The Pharisee posed and prayed like this, Oh God, I thank you. I'm not like other people, robbers and crooks and adulterers, or heaven forbid, like this taxman. I fast twice a week and tithe all my income. Meanwhile, the taxman slumped in the shadows, his face in his hands, not daring to look up. 
he said, Oh God, give mercy, forgive me, a sinner. And Jesus commented, This man, not the other man, went home made right with God. If you walk around with your nose in the air, you're going to fall flat on your face. But if you're content to be simply yourself, you'll become more than yourself. And I love this phrase in the message, if, you, if you're content to be simply yourself, you will become more than yourself. Jesus tells us that we don't need to put on a show in the place of prayer. We don't need to pretend to be something we're not. We don't need to pretend we're someone we're not. We can be exactly ourselves right where we are with what we're feeling. And I find this really comforting because particularly in times like this, we need to be a people who can express what we're feeling both to each other and to God. We don't have to put on religious airs and graces to make ourselves feel more acceptable, uh, whether it's spiritually acceptable or acceptable to other people. And Jesus said that this public prayer, this standing on corners, might be a quick way to get approval from people, but it was, it was not a quick way to connect with God because when we pray, our eyes should be on God, it shouldn't be on other people, and it shouldn't be on ourselves. And he said of people who pray this way, he said they've received their reward in full. And that word there for reward, it means like a day's wages. In, and Jesus was saying the approval they might gain or the adulation that people might give them, that was it. There was no, nothing else going to come to them. That was their wages in full. There was nothing going to come from God because their connection hadn't been with God. It had simply been with other people. The prayer was, it was a masquerade or a show. Let's look at what it means to pray like a pagan. It says this, When you pray, do not keep babbling like the pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. Throughout history, people have tried various ways to connect with sort of spiritual forces or beings, and sometimes that takes the form of repetitive incan incantations or rituals. And um, we see that when the Apostle Paul visited Athens, in AD 51, he found a city that was full of spiritual icons and altars. He says this, he says, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So you're ignorant of the very thing you worshipped. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. And that's in Acts chapter 17. People found, Paul found a people in Athens that were frightened. They were religious, they were spiritual, they were seekers, but they were desperately scared about offending a god or a being they hadn't managed to build an altar to. So they had this insurance policy of the altar to the unknown god, and they would worship and bring sort of offerings to that altar just in case they upset some deity they hadn't managed to name or to build an altar to. And... Paul identifies this pagan prayer is rooted in ignorance. It's rooted in fear. He says, you're ignorant of the very things you try and worship. You have no relational connection with them. And I'm going to proclaim the real God to you. And Jesus tells us that we don't need to, to pray like a pagan, somebody who has no connection or understanding of who God is. We don't need to babble. We don't need to, the King James Version says, we don't need to make vain repetitions to try and connect with God through 
to endless words or incanta incantations. We don't need to, to beg God to hear us because we are connected with him through Jesus Christ. And if we said the hypocrite's prayer comes out of ego, then the pagan's prayer could come out of insecurity. And Jesus says, don't pray in either one of those ways because you have a connection with God. He says, your father knows what you need before you ask him. And this is interesting to reflect on because it means that when we go into the place of prayer, our prayer shouldn't primarily be needs-based because God knows our needs. He knows um, everything about us. He knows where we are. He knows our circumstance. He knows what we need in our lives. And so we don't need to come with a shopping list of needs to God. Primarily, uh, our connection with God should be relational. God still wants to meet with you. He still wants you to share with him. But he primarily wants to connect with you in relationship. And we don't have to put on a show. We don't have to pretend we're on a street corner in front of a crowd. We don't have to pretend to be somebody else. We don't have to use certain words or certain phrases or to connect with God. We don't have to be frightened that we're missing God because we're not using religious terminology. God loves us and he hears us. And Jesus explains that he's waiting for us in the secret place. He says this, when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And this I've described as praying like a disciple. Jesus encourages everyone who follows him to go into the secret place to connect with God. Many of you will have heard of John Wesley. John Wesley was a very famous individual. He was the leader of a revival movement within the Church of England back in the 1700s, and he started Methodism, which many of you are aware of. But most of you won't have heard of his mother. She was called Susanna Wesley. She was born in 1669, and she married an Anglican minister when she was 19. He was called Samuel, and he didn't do very well as a rector um, in ministry. In fact, he, he upset his parishioners so much that twice they burned down the parsonage where the family lived, and so the family suffered great loss. Samuel was also not very good with money and spent many months in debtor's prison. And he often locked himself away to do, to do uh, writings about the suffering of Job, not realizing that his own family was suffering through his neglect. Meanwhile, Susanna was left to work their small farm holding, to manage the household, and to raise and to homeschool their 10 children. In the midst of all this um, just, just sheer load of work uh, and, and, and pressure and distraction, Susanna developed a unique way of connecting with God. She would sit in a certain chair and she would take her apron and put it over her head. And she would create like a tent in which she met and prayed to God. And the children knew when the apron was over the head that the, uh, they weren't to disturb her except for the most direst of emergencies. Susanna went on to virtually single-handedly raise her 10 children, give them an excellent education uh, in all things to do with life and academics. One son, John Wesley, went on to share the gospel to an estimated one million people. It said he preached when he was 70 to 32,000 people 
without the use of any modern amplification whatsoever. And his younger brother Charles uh, went on uh, as a brilliant musician and lyricist. He wrote 6,600 hymns, which are still, many of those are sung in churches today. So Susanna led this extraordinary life of pressure and loss uh, and distraction. But in the midst of that, she was determined not to lose her connection with God in that secret place. In the midst of a house overflowing with children and needs and distractions, she managed to, to create a room within a room, if you like. She used the apron to create a tent of meeting to connect with God. The coronavirus has closed our doors. It has forced us into our homes. It's forced us to isolate from each other. It's forced families to pack together in confined spaces. And it's creating pressure. It's creating anxiety. It's creating distraction. It's creating difficulty. But I think we all have the opportunity, just like Susanna Wesley, to try and creatively think, how do we, how do we make that tent of meeting? How do we make that place where we can connect with God at this time. You might have a certain room in your house or a chair, um, a shed, a cupboard. The word for room Jesus uses actually means closet. So he says, go into the closet and shut the door. So you might even have a cupboard you can go into. You might um, even have an apron you can put over your head uh, to, to make that space, that place of connection. God is waiting to meet you in that place. God is waiting to meet you in that secret place of prayer. It's as if God has marked out a time in his diary just for you that nobody else can take. God's marked out a space and a time for you and him uh, to connect. That space is for nobody else. It cannot be taken by anybody else. God is wanting you and him to connect uh, in, in that inner room, in that secret place. Jesus says when we enter that place, he encourages us to pray to the Father. Our experiences of our earthly fathers vary dramatically. Uh, when you think of God as Father, it might be a positive thing, it may be a negative thing, it may be a mixture of both those things. But when Jesus uses the word Father, he is embodying uh, everything that is right about what a Father should be. He's one who cares for us, one who champions us, one who loves us, one who teaches us and, and wants the best for us, one who guides us. This is all wrapped up in, in the word Father that Jesus is using here to describe our God in heaven. Jesus is using the word Father to describe a relationship of intimacy and love. Uh, God is for us. It says in uh, Jeremiah, uh, who was an Old Testament prophet, he spoke um, the heart of God over the the people at a time and these are the words he said how gladly would I treat you like sons and give you a desirable land I thought you would call me father and not turned away from following me and that shows God's heart for all of us that he wants to be father to us wants to be present for us Jesus came to restore our broken relationship as sons and daughters back to our heavenly father through his his life that he modeled to us and his, his choice to go to the cross, he reconciled us back to the Father so we can come confidently into that place and connect with the Father's love. And that's essentially what prayer is. Prayer isn't a list of needs. Prayer isn't 
essentially about um, us trying to get God's attention or twist God's arm. Prayer is about an expression of that reconciled relationship that we have with God our Father. Our prayers don't need to be hypocritical. We don't need to pretend to be something that we're not. We don't need to pretend to be feeling something we're not. We can come completely and utterly as we are to God in confidence that he loves us and accepts us. And we don't need to feel insecure or fearful. We don't need to be like a pagan who doesn't know the God that they're trying to connect with. We know the nature of God. We know that God is love. And we can come into his presence with confidence through Jesus Christ. What I love about Susanna Wesley is that she said, she showed us how we could turn any place into a place of prayer, even under an apron in a kitchen, surrounded by 10 children running around. We can connect with God in the secret place. And Jesus tells us that God rewards us if we seek him in that place. He said, then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And the word used for reward here, it means manifestly obvious. It means that when you spend time in God's presence, God's presence will sort of be, be upon you. You'll, it'll be evident to other people that you, you, you're a person who spends time with God. And I think that, that manifest presence is that sense of us being changed by degrees into the likeness of Jesus. And I've often met people in my life who you can see they've got a life, a secret life of prayer with God because it's manifestly apparent that that is what they do, because it's sort of, it's on them, that you can see it in their eyes, you can see it in the way they act. So just to summarise uh, this talk, we all hate being shut in. Um, and that's how many of us feel at the moment. We feel like we're, we're shut in uh, and we're confined. And uh, I want to just mention um, something by, by the author Eugene Peterson. Um, he introduces a concept called Ascesis uh, in one of his books. That's a Greek word that means a period of confinement or containment that will produce an intensity of the work of the Holy Spirit. He cites Jonah, who experienced this as he was confined in the belly of a fish, and, and he prays out, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. And also, we see in the life of Jesus who was confined uh, in the tomb for three days, shut in uh, while he defeated death. He was, he was shut in just as we are shut in. He says that he was confined in the heart of the earth. And some of the most inspiring passages that we read in the Bible were written by people who were in periods of confinement, periods of in, imprisonment. They were, they were shut in. And in that shut in time, the work of the Spirit in their life intensified and was magnified. And so I want to invite you to reimagine what it is to be shut in at this time. Maybe substitute shut in for the fact that you've chosen to close the door. You've chosen to go into the room, the secret place, and close the door and connect with your Father in the secret place, allowing that intensified work of the Holy Spirit to grow you and shape you and transform you. So when we come out of this period of confinement, we will burn even more brightly for God. We will have even more impact uh, on, the, on the society and community God has placed us in. I just want to finish by praying. Heavenly Father, thank you that you're waiting for us in the secret place. I ask you 
over the coming weeks, you'll help us all find that place of prayer within our homes where we can connect with you, be honest with you, share our hearts with you. And I pray, God, as we pour out our hearts, you'd fill us with your love and comfort. And God, we'd sense your presence even more closely. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless. We're going to pray now. Debbie Wright, who's the national leader of the vineyard in UK and Ireland, sent this prayer out to churches last week. Why don't you join me? Close your eyes. Heavenly Father, I pray for protection. I pray we would adjust our behaviours to be selfless. I pray for a vaccine and a cure. I pray for all the doctors and scientists who work tirelessly in this time, all those in services who will be in extra demand for those who will suffer with the virus and those who will lose loved ones. But mostly I pray, as many have been praying, I pray for revival. Never before has the church been so united in prayer for a move of God. Could this be our opportunity, our time to shine? I pray God would use us for his glory in this time. I pray the church will rise up, and by church I mean each Christ follower, taking responsibility to live like a true disciple, led by God's spirit, acting in his name and extending God's kingdom like never before, being brave, selfless, helpful and practical. I pray we would love, lovingly choose behaviours to be hygienic, but at the same time look out for the vulnerable, offering to help neighbours, even strangers, finding ways to encourage and build others up in the Lord. I pray for ideas and I thank God for the internet, which will be one of our greatest tools. I pray we'll be a blessing and a source of peace to those who have none, that we will share our faith as there will be openness to the gospel like never before. I pray for those of us who may even feel led to take the place of caregivers and healers to those no one else will touch. And when it all settles back to normal, my prayer is that normal will not be the same, that our nation will have cried out to God, humbled itself and joined us in worship and adoration of the one true almighty God, and our Lord, our Saviour, our King. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to contact us about this talk, to hear more or to find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at Whit Riverside.